0: Welcome everybody to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined by Sean Morton.
1: How are you, Sean? I'm drinking coffee at eight o'clock on a Sunday, Jeff, because I was day drinking for five hours today, and I'm 46, and I'm not used to doing this shit anymore.
0: That's a good thing. I sleep. Sometimes you gotta, gotta get out of your box. Sometimes.
1: I mm-hmm. to this shit, man. My friends can still do this. I can't. I'm one way. I should have been on my couch like five hours ago. What were you drinking? <laughs> All right, so my cousin owns a bar, and it's like she calls it an upscale dive bar. So she's very bougie. So I was drinking prickly pear and strawberry mojitos.
0: Now, now was there gay sex going on in the oh back? Good, yeah, it's gay because they
1: drank a, a drink that was pink. Oh, Jim, you know, come
0: oh on, <laughs> man. Sean, sure, I remember good. the days when we used to drink whiskey and we used still to drink do bourbon and, it was brunch, and you fucking?
1: Drink. Drink. Did, did you put a little umbrella in it? No, it came with mint, in case you need to know. Oh, but yeah, I, I can't thank you. I, I I, <laughs> I, I really. This, this, this is the last show. Um, okay. But before,
0: but before we, before we end the last show here, uh-huh. um, music. Um, this past Thursday, uh, I went to go see Mike Tramp, former. Yes, uh, I spectator. saw
1: that. Thanks. I guess my invitation was uh, lost in the mail for that one. That's totally fine. I don't have any guilt or any, any resentment <laughs> towards you at all.
0: Well, you missed a great night. You know. Uh, oh, thanks. Jameson was there, and you know we were hanging out with him all night, and we got to meet Mike after the show, and the band was great. It actually, he now lives in Indonesia. Now, if you're not sure who really? Mike Trump is, he is the former lead singer in White Lion. You know they were real big in the '80s and '90s, and he's he's originally from Denmark, and has been living in in Indonesia the last couple of years. So for him to come over to the states and tour, it's it's quite a, an expense. So what he does is. He has a great guitarist. I mean, it's very hard to replace Vito Brada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this kid is good. Uh, kind of has a style of like Joe Perry. Uh, yes. and, it, and he, But the rest yes. of it, the bass line, uh, uh, the drums are all on backing tracks. which oh, we really? Not, yeah, which we're not big fans of. But yeah, don't like that either. I, But he's upfront about it and explains like, you know, hey, look, you know, it, it, the cost of taking on just two more members in the band is considerable and you don't have the budget that you that you used to and the budgets don't go as far as they used to so he's traveling as a two-piece and you know his next time around you know they'll build up a little bit of money and they'll be able to kind of tour as a as a four piece unit but it really good covered all the big hits you know he did wait when the children cry freedom cry which i think is a, a great white lion song did "Raid nice. all Love," just like all real good stuff
1: so I that, just that, bought tickets to uh, see Ugly Kid Joe, which is a band that I've loved from the 90s. And they haven't toured the United States in 27 years. Which is, wait, You just got tickets or you saw them? I just got tickets. It's uh, Labor Day. Uh, no, not Labor Day. Memorial Day weekend. It's uh, out in Pennsylvania somewhere. And uh, I listened to a podcast with the singer and he's homeless, the singer, but by choice. So what he'll do is they tour so much overseas so he'll be like, all right, we're going to be uh, starting in Paris, France on February 1st. I'm going to move there December 10th. So he'll live there for like two months before wherever a tour starts. And then say the tour is over in Budapest, Hungary on 8 August 1st. He'll live there until like December 1st until the next tour picks up. And then he said a story about how he was uh, just bored and he rode with Motorhead. In 2012 and 2014, on their tour bus, wasn't performing with them, but just lived like a roadie for two years because he has the, you know, financial freedom to do that. That's pretty wild. Pretty cool. Uh,
0: hey, before we bring in our guest, uh, just a little quick music news. Just one uh, important note. Uh, Aerosmith announced uh yes. tour. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, last tour. Uh, a lot of bands always say it's going to be their last tour. In this case, I totally believe it. They are, too. Yeah, some
1: tickets. They were expensive. They were expensive, not
0: as expensive as I thought, but still, you know, to get a good seat, it's going to probably cost you close to five hundred dollars. And the advice what we always oh, yeah. give people on the show is wait it out. If you mm-hmm. don't have, they're doing multiple dates. Uh, they they could. I don't think they're going to do a second round and come around. No, they if, won't. This is it. But if you could wait it out a little bit you know you could usually get tickets a little cheaper uh closer to the show i'm tired right. of
1: hearing your voice can you introduce our guest please
0: <laughs> with that yeah i'm i'm happy to introduce our guest cuz uh we've been trying to get her on the show for a little bit here and we're glad is able to work out tonight so we got comedian bodybuilder uh roller derby chick okay no and all around badass She is really, when it comes to comedians, she is, she is, she is not playing. She's not playing, Sean. She is a real badass. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show, Chrissy Miller. How are you, Chrissy?
2: I'm good. How are you? That was such a, such an intro. I was like, fuck, did I get bumped again? Like what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Did I get bumped for Steve Perry and his 14 year old girlfriend? He took over state lines. That's why the last tour, (laughs) because he's going to jail.
0: (laughs) Steve Perry?
2: I mean, you know, Steven Tyler, all those old. Oh, queens. yes.
1: Steven. T- well, all yeah, those old
2: ladies are going to jail.
1: <laughs> he does look like your old, like your old, cool spinster single aunt. Right. Yeah.
2: Like she like you look at him. You're like, yeah, she went to Woodstock. Right. And, yeah, hasn't, exactly. changed, and hasn't changed her clothes since.
1: And, and talks about how she fucked Eddie money in 1982 one time. And like that was the greatest achievement of her life.
2: She didn't even fuck him. She blew him.
0: <laughs> Stephen Tyler looks like he should be an eighty for Brady. He is. That was a good movie. <laughs> oh, get the f- you, I fucking hate. It. I took my mom to Join see me it. as my co- I fucking hate this guy. I took I, I, my
1: mom to see it.
2: I'm on your side, Sean, because I love all those women.
1: Yeah, oh, chick movies are great. oh I hate them.
0: I hate. I hate.
2: No one. I, th- I needed to be an eighty for Brady because I would have fucked him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm well, just... they would, they would fuck you back. No one, no one is looking <laughs> at eighty five year old Jane Fonda. The gr- Gronk isn't looking at him and going, "Man, I gotta have some of that." That is not happening.
1: I, I want to listen, Rita Moreno. She's oh. eighty
0: five. Jane Fonda. She, she walks like Biden. Fuck that, man. She no, no, man. She, she listen. Back in the day, Barbarella, one of the hottest women on the planet. No more. Give it up. But okay, you Jeffrey, you're and... talking about no, an
1: 85 year old woman. You understand that, right? You're actually you're actually yelling at an 85 year old woman. Who yes.
2: Hey, Sean, ask <laughs> Sean. Ask him this: Would Jane Fonda fuck you? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's like, I don't know. I can still have any man in the world. Let me find a fucking middle aged middle from Staten Island.
2: <laughs> She's like, <laughs> sure, I'll take him. <laughs> you know what? I,
0: I think if I comb my hair right, I may have a shot. Yeah, you got a shot. Yeah, it's the yeah, hair yeah. comb, right, Sean? Jesus, I, I have, right? If it, my hair yeah. would have to come out good that day. All right.
2: That day. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many chances am I getting to meet Jane Fonda?
2: Oh, you let alone shit all, out of her. I
0: have to put the moves on her. If you play yes. any
1: American Legion or VFW across the country, you're going to meet Jane Fonda when you go into the bathroom because there's the big Hanoi Jane sticker in every urinal. Did you know that? No. Oh, yeah. Every VFW, they have Hanoi Jane stickers right in the middle oh. of, the, uh, of every single urinal. Well, next time I, go, I do a VFW... I, I play the classy gigs, place. Jeff. That's what I'm saying. I play you a do, lot yes. of classy gigs around this country.
2: I did a VFW one night. It was like, it was, I just... It was was so funny is I just did these uh, like two weeks on the road with dice. And then as soon as I get home, like I'm in limousines, I'm hanging with Andrew, like we're having a good time. We're, you know, reminiscing because we haven't seen each other in a long time. And the next day I'm on a fucking New Jersey transit bus to North Bergen to do a VFW with wood paneling and smelt like failure and amputees. And it was just <laughs> oh, like that's good. 24 hours. I'm like, I went from the high life to oh god, no veterans' assistance at all. <laughs>
0: but that's that is quintessential comedy.
2: I know. It's I, I posted about it too. I said I put the picture of me in the limo, and then 24 hours later, I put me on the bus, and I go, "This is comedy. This is exactly what happens every fuck." It's so funny. you are
0: you are humbled so unbelievably uh. fast one when, when, when uh, a couple of years ago i uh lenny diish put out his book and he does like this this book uh, show over at the gramercy theater so on the show is i'm i'm opening uh voss and then lenny and lenny's going to do a q and a okay the, the place is sold out goes great you know and then like that's when i should have gone home i'm like you know what? i think i'm i think i'm going to go over to the grizzly pair and do a set <laughs> Fifteen people. Nine of them couldn't give a shit. Three of them walk out during my set, and I go from here to here, really, really? in the matter of about an hour and a half. Yeah,
1: that's comedy. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. I had one too. I I, I headlined a, a comedy club in Pennsylvania for a weekend, and I sold out both nights. And I'm like, this is great. 120 people every night. It was fucking awesome. And then I had a chance to go see Jeff Dunn. Was it
0: Was it the Comedy Works? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, did, we were sold uh, out. You, you did a uh, Italian restaurant. All right.
1: Um I'm not done with my story, <laughs> asshole number one. Uh on, so I had, ahead, I had this great again Chris, had gotta make great him weekend. feel good. Go, go ahead. Oh, he's fucking feeling really happy today. You know what it is? Because we have a fucking female on the show, he's trying to act tough. Don't sure.
2: worry, my don't worry, Sean. My dick's bigger than both of yours, so it's okay. I,
1: I'm well aware of that. My tits <laughs> are bigger than yours, so don't worry. Yes, about they
2: it. are. Yes, they are. You want to borrow my bra? I don't need it.
1: <laughs> So I go I go see Jeff Dunham at, at Prudential Center and I'm like a puppet act is not going to sell this out so they probably curtained off half of it. I'm doing the comic thing in my head. I'm like all right, curtain off half, don't do the upper level, have the lower level and the floor 5 6000 for a puppet act. I'm like this is great. This isn't as good as my weekend in Bristol. And then I walk in, there was 19200 fucking tickets sold. This guy sold out every seat in the arena and for 3 hours performed and I I really just questioned every fucking thing in my life at that point. Yep. I really did.
2: The moral of the story is shove your hand up a midget's ass and make him talk, and you'll sell would, out arenas.
1: Yeah. If I tried that with Jeff, though, we'd still have that fucking mumbling prick voice coming out of him. You know what I
2: mean?
1: <laughs> Continue, Jeffrey. Thank you. So, enough,
0: enough with you, please. So, Chrissy, you've been doing stand up. I know you for, I probably know you for about 10 years. Yeah. You've been and you've been doing stand up way before that. So yeah. over 20 years. Is this you have an album coming out? Uh I think it's out now. It's out. Okay. Is this your first album?
2: Uh-huh. 27 years. It's my first album. So
0: wow. Yeah, That's so awesome.
2: yeah, why now?
0: After 27 years and all of your experiences, why why did you figure this is the time to do it?
2: Well, the record company approached me. So I signed a four record deal with them.
0: That's and good. Yeah. So wh- um, why didn't you ever do one before?
2: Um, I tried, but things fell apart and I don't like to do things independently because I'm bougie. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the game 27 years. So I'm like, um, no, I want to do this the right way. Cause I always I was always brought I, I was raised at the comedy store. So I was always raised, do it the right way and don't half ass anything. Don't just try to force something through. I want it if I'm gonna do an album or a special, it's gonna be done right. It's not gonna be done on an iPhone, you know, right. sitting in the back of the comic strip or you know, or somewhere and I'm just gonna record and put it on YouTube. There's my space uh, you know, <laughs> might as well just hold a bud light with two hands at that point. So Sean is staring at me like <laughs> it's the, you're
1: absolutely right. You I, I, ever, I've, you know, so I have recorded twice.
2: So I've recorded
1: twice and the line above
2: yeah well, but i have a i have a record company i have you know i signed a four record deal um
0: are you doing it with 600 pound gorilla
2: no no okay. and how dare you call me 600 pounds no it's being uh,
1: released on Realize records by the way jeffrey yes. thanks thanks for doing your research it took all thanks, of five sean. seconds to fucking download it jeff
2: yeah i love you sean fuck you jeffrey Thank you. <laughs> the general <laughs>
1: consensus of
2: every guest on this show, <laughs> by the way.
0: So how did they how did they come about? Uh, like how did had did the, how did the record label come up to you? Like how did the whole thing like materialize?
2: Um, you know, I had a podcast with Mark Rickadonna for uh, a couple of years and Rick Adonna's with them and she exactly. asked Michelle, the owner, she's like, Do you know because we're coming out of COVID? And she goes, do you have any female acts that we could sign? Because I have all these guys. I mean, they've done music for like 30 some odd years or whatever, however long they've been around. And she got into comedy and signed like she did all Mark's albums, Richie Burns albums, like all the usual suspects and that that whole crew. Right. And she's done other comics as well. And he goes, yeah. So he gave her my uh, like a 15 minute clip that I posted and sent it to her and her husband. And her husband said, "Fuck all the other projects. I want to do this album because I want to hear what she has to say next." And that's how it came about. So
0: awesome! No, that that's that's really great. Um, yeah, thank, thank and, God for Ricardona. Well, Mark's one of the best people you're gonna meet. You know,
2: most he's, incredible.
0: He's been on this show before. I do. I do um, radio with him on Wednesday nights on one hundred one point mm-hmm. five FM. He's, he's one really one of one of the best guys in yep. the business. Really a cool dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so you. The, the album came out how's it doing so far it's doing do pretty well
2: every um it came out March 24th you know, I recorded it in September of last year
0: where'd you record it
2: at the comic strip because I, I did it like you know normal comics when they do things they do like two or three shows edit in the best of the best and make an album out of it or a special or whatever they want to do I am not that conventional and my comedy's not that conventional. My brain doesn't wire that way. And I was just like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to leave it all on the stage. I did one show, one take. I said, if I bomb, so be it. If I kill, killer. I'll be excited. That
0: is really risky. Yeah. It was what, a- I mean, what if you're on and you don't get a good crowd?
2: Exactly. I, my mother, her God rest her soul. She blessed that album something, cause it was mm. I could not have had a better crowd, a better night, a better anything. Like the, you know, everything was just perfect. It was like the birds were chirping, the heaven's gate opened up, and just the god the comedy gods just smiled on it. So I did an hour and a half and the album's an hour and five. So they really didn't cut that much. I thought they were gonna oh, cut it to like I thought they were going to cut it to like 40, 45 because that's all you need to as a minimum for spoken word. So I'm thinking, oh, that and then I'll just use the other 45 that don't make the album and I'll use that as I write another hour. Yeah. And and I'm like, oh, you really didn't cut anything like we trimmed fat off of stuff and different things. I said, yeah, I don't need that whole bit on there. Like a lot of my old school Kardashian stuff I did just to set up Kim and Pete Davidson and kanye and stuff so we cut a lot of that because i'm like yeah eh. cut the share stuff in half and that's about it like a few other things got cut like small things got edited but i just kept it because the intimacy of that club and just the and the different demographics that were there that night for me was like insane like it was so crazy and it was so cool to watch all these different demographics of people that would never intertwine, never talk to each other, never see—you know—don't not in the same neighborhood, not in the same bar, nothing. We're all in one room together, laughing, and that was like powerful for me. That was like, oh my god! So everything, basically, so everything was like lined up, and I took a big risk, and it paid off. And the album's doing well, and the response from people and like new fans that are discovering me are like, oh my god, who are you? I've never heard of you. This is the funniest shit and it's like oh my god i'm not gonna get set on fire for all the shit i say <laughs> this is great Overnight
0: but, success 27 years later
2: yeah bernie Mac.
0: so was it was it your crowd or was this just an
1: open crowd to the the comic strip
2: it was half and half
1: okay and so yeah, I would, I would like pay for cool. the whole room if I was me. Like, I'm if I'm going to record, I'm going to have like a hundred people. I'm bringing ninety five, and I'm going to right. tell them, look, you've heard this shit for fifteen years. Laugh like you've never fucking heard it before. I'm yeah, gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the crowd what to do for this recording.
2: I'll, no, I wanted it raw, unfiltered. I had a couple of hecklers. It was fun. I Did you leave
0: that in the record?
2: Yes, yes, yes. That's very
1: cool. That's fair. I like yeah,
2: that. And I was, you know. I'm like, I'm just gonna do it live, leave it all there. It's raw. It's just, you could feel the rawness from it when you listen to it. And that was what I wanted. That intimate, raw, dirty, dark club setting. Like it just has that vibe and it feels it's, it's I, I'm really proud, of, I'm, I'm really excited because I really, I worked my ass off on that. And uh, it's, you know, so far so good, knock on wood, you know.
1: How far back did you go in your 27 years for the record?
2: I went back to one of my biggest closers that I started that helped get me on stage was share. So I did my share, bit. I brought her in just because she's part of me and she's like my idol and she's my, you know, my, my other me or whatever, you know, but so I brought her in just to have that nostalgia of how it all started. Like how, like my first big closing bit was share. That was my first big closer.
0: How do you categorize your comedy? Like I've seen you, but for our audience that doesn't know you, how do you categorize uh, your comedy?
2: I would say my comedy is basically everybody's ridiculous inside voice, but they're too afraid to say it out loud because they don't want to offend people. So I'm that voice, like you know, when you see something and you make fun of it, and you you know bust balls and you know like you know crack horns and. That's what my comedy is. It's so ridiculous and stupid, but I just call a spade a spade and I call things in the moment. No two shows are alike for me because every audience is different. So whatever's happening in the crowd, it's, I'm going to address it. I'm going to handle it because it also, I find just for me, not for everybody. I don't have stock. Uh, uh, I don't have stock crowd work stuff like some comics have. I don't have the time to write that kind of stupid shit because you never know where you're going to be. So I just kind of fly off the cuff when it comes to anything happening in the crowd or anybody in the crowd. It's just off the cuff, whatever's happening in that moment. I like to meet the audience halfway, but I like to make it a big party and just laugh and make fun of ourselves and break balls. And But I always say the best way to describe it is I'm that inside joker voice in your head that likes to talk shit, but is too afraid to say it out loud without offending anybody.
0: Are you a confident person?
2: say that again it's are
0: you a are you a confident person very okay even off stage yes okay so that so that that would go uh in line with your convictions on stage so like so like if you've never seen chrissy okay and i've seen her a billion times she's loud in your face you know uh high energy i mean she used to take probably the hardest spot in the show, mm-hmm. which would be the eleven o'clock closing spot at Broadway Comedy Club on a Tuesday or a Wednesday <laughs> night. Love and that And she right, and would just like you know, the audience would almost be at the point where they're gonna die, and then you brought them back to life. Yeah. And you Thank and you. They, you always closed really strong, but yes. you know, but you you know, you were dirty, and you know, you were you were kind of like you know, abrasive. So. Is there any drawbacks to that? Do people get offended, and has it cost you work?
2: Um, people really don't get offended. Once in a while, when I'm on the road, some bitch will get uptight. But I, it's one thing with hecklers. I never. By the way, them. this is
0: the, this is what I love about Chrissy. No fucking h- holds barred. No I just, holds barred.
2: I just, I'm just me, and I'm cool with who I am. I'm very comfortable in my own skin, and I love everybody. So if I break your balls it means I like you.
1: Right. And if I ignore you it's like you, the it fucking female like version you. of me. This is this is the greatest day so... of my life. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
2: So uh Are
0: there drawbacks to, to that yes, style? Yes,
2: because I am a woman. Yeah. I get judged 10 times as hard as a man. I told someone I said, if I was a white, if I was a dude, I would have been at the top a long time ago. But because I'm a female, I don't play the game, the uh, you know, the game And I do what I want and I say what I want. Now I'm dirty. I go, any man or any fat bitch that tells my act would get away with it because they're not threatening. But because I do do powerlifting for fun, I keep in shape. I'm very strong. I'm confident. I just like everybody to have a good time. It's a party. Life is short. We're all going to go out in a box, you know, all at the same, you know what I mean? Like, it's like we all shit brown and bleed red. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you're cool, I like you. I'm going to break your balls and have a good time. If not, and when the audience heckles, I usually kill them with love, positivity, and kindness because you'll never get receipts on me. I always swore to myself, I never want to go viral for some crazy shit like some like Michael Richard shit or some other crazy like angry comic attacking the audience shit because it's, I'm not an angry person. I don't have any anger in my body at all i love life i'm happy i'm i do what i want i i really i really love my life and i usually just kill people with kindness and build them up even when i'm roasting them i'm still building them up and it's And i've had people tell me at shows afterwards Go, i've never seen a comedian take a heckler and just build them up with positivity and love. They're like, that was amazing. I never seen that. Usually they attack and get angry and throw them out. I said, no, 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 no. Their pain is not my pain. Why would I take that on? Why would I let them affect my mood? Their mood is fucked because they're obviously, I'm mirroring something as a 52-year-old woman living my life the way I want to live it. And now that's mirroring something that you were too afraid to do when you were younger. Cause society said, if you're a certain age, you can't do things and you bought into that. That's not my problem, but my, but I won't make it my problem. And I don't want you to feel bad when you leave my show ever.
0: Has, so. has this style, has it cost you any work or any opportunities, things that you think that you say, Hey, look, I should have been here and someone who's less than you, Got this because not because they played the game, because they were either cleaner or more predictable, you know, or you know, just weren't you?
2: Um, probably I'm gonna say yeah because I think everybody has, Mm -hmm. but I can't be anything else but me. You know what I mean? But there
0: are people in this business that will sell out in the in
2: in a a drop of a hat. They will suck dick and tap dance and pick cotton, but the drop of a hat they will tap it out. But not I won't because it's not me and I found that I've done clean shows or booked at a corporate gig they're like yeah but you may be vile and vulgar and go after things and t- talk about taboo subjects but it doesn't feel like you're doing it for the sense of going raw or edgy they're like you just that's just the way you talk that's just how you think yeah. I and audiences don't take it that way because I'm not like Sarah Silverman, who does a dirty joke just for the sake of shock value. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not a shock value. I just say what I feel. Everything I write comes from my gut. I don't it's try you. to... Yeah, it's it's, you. it's unapologetic. It's me. Like, the album's called Brutally Yours. That's me. I'm brutally yours. Like, here it is. This is it. You know, this is who I am. Love it or leave it. I'm cool. But I, I don't have problems. So I usually... People get nervous because of my content. And then at the end of the show, they're like, what were we worried about? You destroyed. You're amazing.
0: You said you started out at the comedy store. Did you yes. grow up in California? Yes. You did. And so, yes. so what, was, what was your beginnings over there?
2: Uh, 1995. Got to the comedy store. I thought to my, my, my best friend at the time yelled at me. She goes, if you don't go to the comedy store, and do an open mic, I'm gonna kill you. Cause I've wanted to be a stand-up comic since I was like six or seven. And
0: who did you listen to?
2: Uh Richard Pryor, I saw Marshall Warfield, the Reverend George Wallace, George Carlin, the usual suspects, Don mm-hmm. Rickles, Buddy Hackett. Like my mom had all those comedy albums. So then when show remember when we were kids when Showtime came out and it was like a nighttime pay cable movies and they had the comedy shows and then yeah. hbo came out like three years later and they were doing specials so showtime had this show called and it was all over they had the new york one they had the la one they had the chicago one and they had the san francisco one which is where i'm from they had the san francisco big laugh off and on that episode was ollie joe prater Marsha warfield johnny dark and the reverend george wallace hmm. and i watched that and between Marsha and george i was like this is what I want to do. This is, this is it. And then I got obsessed with comedy shows. I watched specials after specials. I would come home from school and watch Richard Pryor over and over and memorize it. When I, when I was a kid, we got delirious on VHS and I would just watch it over and over. Listen to old Carlin albums, listen to Bill Cosby, listen like any comedy album I can get my hand on is what I did. So my best friend was like, you need to go to the comedy store and do a mic because I'm so sick of you because you've been wanting to do this for so long and you're so hilarious. So I went to the comedy store and got a job. I said, all right, I'm going to go there and get a job as a waitress. If I get a job as a waitress, that means I'm supposed to be there and learn and start. How old were you? 20. I was just getting ready to turn 25. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, I went, had the job in like 30 seconds and started working there. I said, oh shit, I have to be here. So I would watch shows. I'd watch comics. I met everybody and I would watch and I would, you know, get my little three minutes together because I was scared because it's nerve wracking.
0: Did you and, go up while you were working?
2: Yeah. No, 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 no. Mitzi, no. back then you weren't allowed to talk to a comic. If you were a waitress, you would have got fired. If Mitzi came in and saw you talk to a comic and he was not ordering a drink from you, you're fired. She would throw you out of the club because Sammy ran off of the waitress in 76 to Vegas and that's so, why she got the store.
0: Okay, so when you're not not waitress, mm-hmm. we, we, we would, would the uh, store give you a spot even if it's a 5 minute get spot?
2: Nope, it didn't nope. work that way. It was not like that. They had uh, Sunday nights for a potluck, which was the open mic. And uh it was during the dark days in the mid 90s, so like, you know, com- like getting people in the club was a pain in the ass unless it was a holiday and there was tourists and then we take tickets over to the Hilton and the Hyatt and all the hotels surrounding it on the Strip to get people to come in. And so we weren't allowed to do stand-up. We weren't allowed to talk to comics. So I'd have to sneak on the, the potluck night on Sundays with the employees because it was like the open mic from 7 to 8. The employees, like the doormen, the cover booth, the phone guys that were all like new comics working their way in, went on from 8 to 9. So that's when I would go on. And then Mitzi would come in, from nine to 10 and do her showcases. And then from 10 to two was all the pop-ins, all the paid regulars could pop in and do a spot. There was no like special lineup. So they would have to put my name on a separate piece of paper because they didn't want me to get fired because they didn't want Mitzi to find out. So one day she saw the list that was going to the cover booth with my name on it. And she goes, what's this? And she was in a meeting with Mike Becker, her vice president at the time, Scott Day, our talent coordinator and Dave Shuler, the day manager at the time. And she's like, and they're like, oh, shit, Chrissy's going to get fired. Now, by this time, I'm doing every single job at the comedy store. I'm a waitress. I'm a phone girl. I'm assistant talent coordinator. i long I'm have you accounting. been there? I'd been there for about a year. Oh, OK. Wow. Yeah, about a year. And I was sneaking around. And then she found out. And she's like, "Christy's a performer. Ah, that's great. So like that whole ice was broken. So I didn't have to hide anymore. She so, liked you? Yeah, she loved me. And then you know I worked and worked and built up because you have to you had to have a, a a solid half hour to an hour before you could even showcase for her because spots were fifteen and twenty minutes long at the time so you couldn't do every single joke you wrote in fifteen minutes you would die up there and she would tell you to come back you're not ready or you know, this isn't for you I used to watch her do showcases and die laughing I'm like God she's brutal so when it she was finally Simon when I spent Yeah, she was just, she, and she knew that she knew she, there'll never be another Mitzi Shore. So when I finally showcased, when I felt like I was ready and I had enough time, you know, enough material under my belt, I showcased for her and she passed me and then I got spots.
0: So you were working there, basically sneaking around California, doing some shows and just really just watching it. it, You absorbed it all. Yep. And and that, and that progressed your your development as a comic.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I learned what to do, what not to do. Right. And uh, You know, when I first, you know, I was only there for like a week as a waitress. And that's when I met Paul Mooney. And
0: we're going to get to that.
2: Paul really took me under his wing. I met Dice like a couple weeks in. And Dice really like took a liking to me. And, you know, Rogan was there. Joey Diaz, you know, Joey Diaz came later but like Carlos Mencia was there. They like, those guys ran Eddie Griffin. They all ruled the comedy store at that point. So.
0: When you were working, mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, and you said, you know, the doorman, the bartender, everyone was a cop. Did you work with anybody who wound up like actually becoming a comic?
2: Oh God. Yeah. They all, I'd say 90% of them, you know, passed as a paid regular and a lot of them, like like Bob Oshack and Freddie Soto, um what are the other guys? A couple of them disappeared. But like those two, uh, Freddie Soto died, which like after I moved here in like oh five or oh six, he died. Um uh, but Freddie Soto had a development deal. He was like the next Latino big thing, and they he got a pilot shot, it was picked up and they were filming and then he died of a heart attack in a sleep. Oh. Well, yeah, so uh, it's such
1: an amazing vibe at that at the comedy store, though. Yeah, like when you like you walk past it and you just kind of feel it's one of those weird places, Jeff. It's kind of like when you go into like Fenway Park or like the old yes. stadium,
2: yep,
1: or like the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. I just you just feel the history,
2: Sean. You'll enjoy this. There's my name on the wall. I was just
1: way. going to fucking ask you if your name was on the wall, but then there I said if your name wasn't on the wall, I didn't want you getting pissed off.
2: No, no my it name. Was-
0: in the... fact you were you were, weren't you featured in the comedy store uh, documentary no i thought i thought i thought you were there or no pictures of no you on it
2: did it i didn't yeah. see any pictures really yeah because yeah. i wasn't i didn't i watched it and i didn't see any eleanor was there they talked to eleanor
0: i i i could have sworn
2: it's probably your, Eleanor. your
0: name or your picture had popped up and i was like you know, anytime I see one of my friends on on something, I'm like, Chrissy Miller, you know? Uh,
2: well, I hope so. I don't I don't remember. Uh, but I know because I broke that barrier with the waitresses, with Mitzi, where we were allowed to, like, be human inside the building and not be scared shitless for our jobs. And because Mitzi loved me and I loved her, it kind of broke this barrier. Like, Eleanor didn't start stand-up until, like, I left L.A. And I was there for, like, 10 years, and I came here in 05 to – new york to be with mooney at caroline's so um they talked to eleanor because she was the head waitress she was a head waitress when i got hired and Eleanor's hilarious but she started like after i left so i think they you know they talked to her but it was really i found it interesting Now,
0: just so people know it's eleanor kerrigan you're talking about yes
2: yes yes very hilarious um love l um so happy for her so um whatchamacallit uh But I found it interesting after the documentary was out, all of a sudden, like a day later, like Mike Binder followed me on Instagram. I go, well, somebody told him somebody talked about that as the waitress, but it didn't get featured in there, which is fine. It's not a big deal. But I was like, man, that's my grown up. That's my home. You know, I fucking broke barriers down with Mitzi for that.
0: Did you get to hang with uh, Paulie and did he kind of uh, and if you did? Did he kind of have like a little thing for you?
2: No. Okay. No. Uh I think I was uh too I wasn't a bimbo. Pauly liked him really hot and really stupid, and I'm neither of those. I'm mediocre at best and I'm very smart. <laughs> but I love I just I mean, I I love Polly. I love him very much. I saw him right before lockdown, right before the, the pandemic hit, so you know, I hadn't seen him in years, so it was good to see him again. I snuck into the Carolines and saw a show, and he's like, "Oh my God!" And we had like a whole reunion, and
0: and by and by the way, I you know, you posted a picture of yourself when you were younger. You were more than just mediocre. Mediocre would make you a six. You were better than that. So okay. <laughs> oh, oh, that
2: oh, the old headshot day, you know that? Yeah, Cher, so you look, I think that's share. That is share from the sixties. That's You're
0: fucking. That idiot. wasn't you.
2: No, I, holy shit, I, I do the gag. So- I do the gag every year. I either do share or China as my old headshot
0: okay (laughs) china body-wise you're you're there but not quite (laughs) okay but i thought i thought that was you her and i look a
2: lot there's there's a picture that my friend wow uh from her album when she did all the abba covers yeah dancing queen and it's like share and it's like that that uh remember those remember in school when we were kids it was the reflection pictures remember those it's like yeah. you, and then there's the reflection the of you turn, the turn, The side. turn shot, yeah. Oh, so dumb. So her album's kind of like that. It's like a her facing on and then her, like, facing her face. So a friend of mine put my picture where, like, Photoshopped my picture on the facing forward, and you think it's me, and you think it's her. It's so funny. But, like, when I do my makeup all like hers, when I paint my face like hers and put the wig on, and then it's, like, share And then, you know, um... Yeah, that's they all good. thought it was me.
1: That's not wow. bad. So let's, that's let's be, bad. Yes, that that's good. That's good. This from the guy who goes, "Yeah, do you want to hear my 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 De Niro impersonation? I do the worst De Niro. I do the worst De Niro. <laughs> oh, so my God. De Niro sounds like you, Bernie Sanders. It is so
2: hilarious. It's a lot
0: of heavy breathing, and, and somehow I made him out to be a Brooklyn Jew. You should okay. make
2: it. You should okay. call it Bernero. <laughs> robert listen, bernero
0: listen bitchy slam bora <laughs> hey okay? shot we'll to get, the
2: heart you're to blame we'll, we'll get to <laughs> you in a second
0: <laughs> but you but let's go back to something you, you, you you've been alluding to okay, okay so you open for a couple of legends all right yeah paul mooney andrew dice clay mm-hmm. um t- talk to us about first mooney we you know you said you came to new york in 2005 and the mooney shows at carolines are pretty much legendary. Yeah. you know um between the the interaction with the the crowd so you know i, I mean and, and just verify anything that what i'm saying here um i heard people would walk out i heard sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be 20 people in the show and he'll do three hours yep. you know um tell us a little bit about like working with like paul mooney and and your impressions on paul
2: oh oh homie it's too real homie oh oh uh uh, all these white rabbits these racist white motherfuckers they can't handle it oh 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 yeah he's uh paul mooney is probably the greatest gift i ever had and the biggest curse i ever had when you were talking earlier about gigs and losing out gigs and i said yeah probably well the real is um working with him all those years i learned freedom i learned how to trust my gut and get strong. I mean, the comedy store Mitzi used to give me all the death spots. I'd ask for the Kinison spot, and I'd uh, then uh, I would ask for give me the spot at because the headliner, you know, it's continuous shows from eight to two. It's a comic every fifteen minutes. Pass the baton, and the piano player runs the show and tells you it times the comics and then tells us who's next, plays us on and off. So I said, give me the death spot, like following Carlos Mencia doing an hour of. <laughs> and an hour of Joe Rogan humping a stool like a lion or an hour of Dom Irera just murdering or an hour of dice, whatever. I just want to go on after these guys when I was a new Jack because I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to be able to handle anything. So between those death spots, following those guys every night to opening for Paul Mooney in New York City in the Mecca where I've seen, where I get to the club and there's a line all the way around the block up 7th Avenue from Broadway waiting to get in at 12:30 at night on a Saturday night to see mm. Paul Mooney and it and it'd be 30 degrees out you know and he would do le- this every
0: saturday right
2: every we did thursday through sunday yeah it used to be once it was once a month then it became you know biweekly and then it became every week because it would just—he had diehard fans that would show up every week because he always had new material. Because he would just sit home and watch the news all day, and then just go off on it for like a half an hour at a time, and then it would just like it was always something new. And the things I learned from was Paul it, was it funny? Brilliant destruction, like monstrous laughs, like just like it. There was like there's times I've see at the comedy store. He'd do late night, you know, close the show out and it'd be two people in the room and he'd do an hour and we'd be all in the back dying because he's brilliant. And then it would be funny to watch the white people go. This is terrible. Oh my God. This guy's really, oh, this is a bit much. We have to go. And it's so funny. And they would look at me laughing even when I was opening for him at Caroline's, like some white people, they would recognize him from Chappelle show as Negro Domus. So they would come to see Paul. I remember one night there was these two little white girls in the front row white blonde haired girls because they love Chappelle show and they love Negro Domus. They were going to the Paul Mooney show and five minutes in, they were picking up their shit and walking out. It was the funniest shit. Cause they didn't know they, cause they don't know his history. And, but
0: tell us a little bit about his history that you oh, knew.
2: Oh, well I knew Richard Pryor because of him. Like I got to, we'd go to his house and hang out with him when he was really sick, have dinner or whatever, just visit him and make him laugh. And just keep him company and stuff. Because he was really sick. You know, it was really bad towards the end. And Richard, when I first got to the comedy store, was coming in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the OR at 8 o'clock to help Mitzi put some money back in that club. Because nobody was going to see live comedy at that point. So with Richard Pryor on stage, that place would sell out in five minutes. And then it got to a point where he would get sicker and sicker and couldn't come. So, like, he'd have to cancel. We'd have to give money back. And it was just like, it, it was insane. It got too much. And then he just got too sick, but we would go to his house and visit him and make him laugh or have dinner and whatever. So, um, but yeah, Paul is probably behind every funny 70s and 80s sitcom that was like from the Jeffersons to what's happening to uh, uh, God, ev- every Sanford and son, you know, I love it's, this show. yeah, he uh, well him and Richard were the first black writers inducted into the WGA back then. Like they didn't have black writers. All the black shows were written by eleven white writers, and they'd have the token black guy to say is this correct or not. But it was all white writers, and so like he wrote that he was the head writer on In Living Color the first season. Homie the clown—that's a Paul Mooney joke, you know. That's like right.
0: That, yeah, it's
2: it's Paul Mooney. Home oh homie, that's Paul. So, uh, but Paul, and then when he was on Chappelle, when he would do all those sketches, I'm like Paul, I know you wrote that one. He goes. Oh, you know, it's too real, homie. Oh, you know, I did. You know, and, and it's just, you know, Chappelle wouldn't do the Chappelle show without him. He called him. He's like, I can't do this without you, Paul. Gotta have you as a writer, Paul. Gotta do this right.
0: Be- before we get back to Paul Mooney for a second, you know, uh, and, and what were you, your parents? What was, what was your mom and dad like growing up?
2: Uh, my dad left when I was four and a half. And my mom was like the greatest woman to ever live. She fought hard. She took care of us. See, they're all military. So all my family have served in the military. So they're all fucked up as it is. But uh, which we call, she got out of the service when she after she married my dad. And then they split. And then she raised us by ourselves. But she always taught me to be strong and stand your ground. And but you're not me- only
0: strong physically. You're very, you're very strong mentally. We're very open-minded yeah and you know I, you know I, i'm i'm very impressed with with the fact that not only the accept but you take in and you learn from it yeah. does that make sense
2: yeah 100% i love things that i love people that are different than me i love learning new things about different cultures and different people i love different languages it's fascinating to me it's i love you know if everybody looked like me, it'd be pretty boring in my world. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, that's nice. But I like, you know, I like different things. I just like, I love people who aren't afraid to be themselves and enjoy life. Right. You know what I mean? I don't like bitter, angry, and I don't like all the what about isms that people throw out. Well, what about me? And what about this? What about that guy doing that? That's not. And it's like, dude, what, what about it? it has that to do with you? Get your shit together. You know, go fuck yourself. You know, you want to change? You're mad because you feel like you've been left behind. Well, then do something about it. Take initiative. Hold yourself accountable. You know, make a change if you don't like where you're at. Obviously, you must like it because you're still sitting in your bullshit. You just want to complain like a little bitch.
0: That's quintessential stoicism.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I don't want to hear your bullshit about your failures. You know, if I sat around and wallowed in all my failures and all the doors that were shut, like after Paul Mooney, after we stopped working together, when he got really sick, it was like 2012 ish, 2013, you know, the clubs in New York city said, Oh, you open for Paul Mooney all the, yeah, you're a little rough for our room. And I'm like, you why? didn't even watch me. Yeah. Why? Because why? Paul had that stigma. Hey, Hollywood hated Paul Mooney. What they does that hated have to do him. with you? Because I was guilty association. by association. Thank you, Sean. He, Sean, you get it. It's yeah. like you're associated. And it's like, that was like my scarlet letter that I had to carry for years. So I would literally start over and I would hit mics and I would, I'm like, fine. I scratched my whole, I did the Jerry Seinfeld in comedian. I threw all my act away and I started over and I just started rewriting and started working and rewrote the whole act and, and just like said, fuck it, if I'm too rough, And then it was just like, you know, they wanted that that Paul Mooney thing is hung over my head for so many years that I just said, well, fuck it. If that's the way you feel, then I'm going to do jokes that make me laugh. I'm going to keep going. I don't give a shit. You can't stop me. I'm going to live my life and be happy. I'm going to tell the jokes I want. My audience will find me. You don't have to chase an audience. I'm not going to to just to get someone to like me. I'm just going to be me. And then if you're just unapologetically you, your audience will find you. And my audience has found me. And I'm so grateful for every one of them. Everyone that's bought the album. Everyone that comes to shows. Everyone that supports me online. And whatever. Whatever support. They're fucking amazing to me. And I love them. And it's just like I'm so grateful. every day for all my blessings am i where i want to be no but who cares nobody is though nobody's
1: ever happy with where they are
2: but i'm but i love my life i'm so happy with what i'm doing like who else can you know live in new york city in this in this day and age with these prices and be able to support herself without a day job
0: well okay that's not famous no no because i i read an article about you Uh-oh. um and it was in, oh, in the new york times
2: oh yeah during COVID. you know what i'm
0: referring okay yeah. right um how, you know i mean we'll get we'll get to dice in a second but how did you survive then during the pandemic because in this article i read it, you know they featured you you made your living as a comic yeah. as a personal trainer mm-hmm. and you're talking about two of the industries that were hit the hardest and yep. open up last yep. was comedy clubs and, and the gyms. gyms. Yep. Okay. Mm. How, you know, so how did you survive and stay in New York?
2: I, I don't know. I really don't know. I, um, I prayed a lot, you know, I didn't have any income for two and a half months until the stimulus hit. And then, you know, I, I filed for unemployment like we we locked down what March sixteenth the day before St Paddy's Day that is right. March eighteenth I filed unemployment and I said you know what I, something told me do it now because of the how long did it take
0: pot. you to get it yeah
2: two and a half months
0: yeah New York you know, way because
2: behind. well because it's not set up for that they didn't no one knew this was gonna happen in the mm-hmm. world the whole world had to shut down. So these government offices, they don't really take government funds and put them in brand new computers and servers. We're going to bail this out so it's state of the art so we can accommodate unemployment benefits and other things. No, that's the last thing on a person's budget. There's other programs they got to feed. So they have these rinky dink little computers handling 20 million Fuck, well, it wasn't man.
0: just the computers; it really was the manpower because yeah, you would have, all of it, you, you, all you of have, it. The you would have crashed. claims of ten thousand maybe a month, and now you're going up to the you know the yeah, the, the, the six uh, figures.
2: Yeah. In, so in, in the claims. servers couldn't. They they had like one or two servers. So Apple and Google donated, like Google donated like nine servers to the state of New York when they shut down when all that crashed and all those problems because it it wasn't designed for that. No one no one was prepared for this. So. And then Apple donated computers and stuff as well so they could get up and running and kind of update things so they could handle the influx of unemployment benefits and and applications and all this shit. And everything got fucked up and and it was just crazy. But I just, I don't know. I don't know how I made it. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It was all a blur, but I did it. And all I did is I just had faith because I knew I'm a survivor. I've been through worse. And it's is only temporary. We'll get through this just like everything else in the world. We get through it. And yeah. if you lose your head or get caught up in the negative or the conspiracy theories or the whataboutisms, you're going to die. It's literally going to eat you up and you're going to die. And I was like, no, we're better than that. I'm cool. Let me figure out another strategy since I can't go to the gym and I can't go on stage. So I sat at my computer March 16th, 2020. And earlier, I could barely send an email. I sat at my computer 14 hours a day teaching myself all the different streaming services, you know, like Zoom, uh, StreamYard, Restream, OBS. That was the hardest one. And then I taught myself. I started with iMovie. Then I graduated to Final Cut Pro. And then I went into Adobe Creator. And I got into all this. And I taught myself this shit. And I spent hours at the computer learning. And I was like, and then doing shows. And then I started getting shows that people, like uh, this kid, uh, James Kid. he's a man. James Mack. Do you know him? Yeah. Really nice dude. He was actually one during that summer who got me a lot of paid gigs online and helped me out a lot. And I'm grateful for that. And then from there, other people started to figure out, oh, let's do gigs. Let's do this. So then I was doing three podcasts a week. And then I was headlining shows like three or four times a week. So I was busier in lockdown than I was out of lockdown, which was funny. But I just kept the faith. I just kept my head up and just kept pushing. And then everything worked out because I knew it would. And eventually everything works out.
0: Yeah, it took an adjustment because I I had some really great momentum coming off of uh, the Scorsese movie. And uh, things were real good. And then Mm -hmm. things locked down. So from March 16th really to June 16th, that's how long I was off stage. And then I started doing outdoor shows. And then you yeah. started doing once we started doing outdoor shows, started doing some secret shows, you know, some like secret location stuff, mm-hmm. started doing mm-hmm. you know, started getting pretty proficient in being able to do Zoom shows. But you're right, you you adjusted. There was that period. You're like, what am I gonna do? You you, you catch your breath for a second, and yeah. then and, you're like and okay, you're like, you know what? I'm gonna come out I of this
2: stronger. Do. This is mm-hmm. like this is this is this is I'm like I'm in boot camp now. There's another level. I'm 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 about to achieve a new level in this video game. So let's do this. And I got really excited because it was different. Yeah, I I did park shows. I hated park shows. I'm sorry, I hated them. I really
0: what hated I did, them. Did you do, did you do the one for stand up New York and like in Central Park?
2: Yeah, I see, did that see, one and West Sides.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't do any of those. What I, what I did was shows like and Sean was on a, a couple of them where we would be outside and people would be in their cars. And oh, what the! And they the de- windshield wipers
2: and the honking, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that. too much for me. I couldn't do it. I was um, like, I never get. Yeah, I, no, again. Yeah, was I, was I said I'll never
1: go back on stage again until until yeah. this is over. Yeah, I, I can't do that again.
2: And for me, the Zoom shows were so easy because I have a lot of energy anyway. And like I remember, I did uh, Jim Madrinos's podcast back in lockdown, and I've known Jim since I started because you know he was he came you know he was at the comedy store with Kinnison, and so I knew him and. Carla Bo and all those guys were like, when I started, they were like, hey, look, look at this little idiot trying to think she's funny. And then Madrinos goes, how do you do it that you, he goes, your energy on a Zoom is exactly the same as your energy on stage. I said, because I'm a whore. Yeah,
0: you know? so that's who you are.
2: Yeah, this is what I do. So if I see faces in a box, I'm going. It's on, bitch. Like, mm-hmm. I will fucking do an hour. I don't, I was doing half hour, 45 minute shows on Zoom. It was fun. And I, it was great. I'm like, oh, I don't have to get was, dressed. This is it fantastic. It was
0: easier to develop uh, material because you could you could have your notes on the side. Yep. And, and you know, and kind of like cheat that way. In yep. that regard, I like it. And once in a while, I will still do Zoom shows uh, if I want to like not have to travel, but I want to work out new stuff. I'll yeah. do it maybe once a month now. I used yeah. to do it a lot more uh, I used to, because I used to love it.
2: Yeah. Well, I sometimes I'll pop on Gladys' show just to work on stuff. Just so I can sound it out.
0: Exactly. And, you got, and watch you, the you notes. Got, you can write it, but you got to start to say it. exactly. Yep, and exactly. Zoom was perfect for that. Yeah, um, Let's get into Dice. Because you had kind of like a resurgence. I know you had opened for him previously. And yep. then recently you kind of reconnected. And was on the road with him again. Yep. Tell us a little your history with Dice.
2: Dice and I met at the comedy store. When I was just a waitress. And I was only there like a couple of weeks. And he came in with Trini. Now mind you. I was probably the biggest dice fan in my teen years than anybody else I knew. Loved him, knew all his shit. And then when he walks in the comedy store, I sh- when Paul Mooney walked in, I what dropped my this? glass. This is nineteen ninety
0: five. Oh, so it's a good looking dice. It's Ford Fairline dice.
2: it's good. It's good looking. It's sexy dice. Right. Oh yeah, it's like you could get this dice. It was that time, and. I was like, oh my fucking God, it's Andrew Dice Clay. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So I'm like pretending he's not there and I'm ringing in my drink orders and I'm like, not look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Don't be an idiot, Christy. Don't. And I'm like having this conversation. Don't look at him because you're a fucking moron. Don't you're going to say something stupid. (laughs) Don't say anything to him because you're going to say something dumb. And his wife is there. You don't want to make a scene. So I'm just like calm. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm ringing in an order. And then all of a sudden this arm leans next to the register and I look at him and I'm face to face with him. He goes, I'm Andrew. What's your name? And I'm like,
1: you
2: know, moist. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh, I go, it's Christy. Nice to meet you. Whatever. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God. It's dice. Like I'm having a meltdown It was inside and I'm trying to hold it together. And we became friends ever since. And you know, it was just like, we got to be really good friends and I did some stuff with him. I did, uh, His album cover, Face Down, Ass Up, in 2000. Hmm. And uh, that was fun to see my butt on Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard. It was hilarious. Oh, wait, that's you? Yeah.
1: That's fucking awesome. (laughs) Look how excited you are. I have
2: it it on CD. I
0: have it on CD. You little creep. Go ahead. I love it. People ask me,
2: which one is you? I go, I'm the black girl in the middle. And I just (laughs) walk away. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so we were really good friends, like really close. And then when I moved to New York, I was in a bad depression. you know, it was just like it was just bad. So I came to New York to just like, you know what? I need to shake this. I gotta get out of that. So when I left, I just cut ties with everybody, and I just talked to Paul, and that was it. And then if anybody came into town from the comedy store, I'd go hang out with them. but I just cut ties because I had to like get myself together mentally and and emotionally. So, you know, I played roller derby for a while when I was here for two seasons just to try something different. Yeah. You know?
0: Did you know how to skate? You that yeah. Oh, oh skate? yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I skated my whole life. California, we roller skate everywhere.
0: And you, and you were, you, and I up top, I mentioned that you're a bodybuilder. So you were, you were, I'm you not were... a
2: bodybuilder. That's, that's an aesthetic sport. I, I train like a powerlifter and I did powerlifting for a little bit. And then I was going to train for, On my 50th, I turned 50 in lockdown. So I was going to do a master's, like train for a meet and do the master's and like get get my numbers up there and hit some records. And then I started my program in February, 2020, got three weeks into it. And we like at the end of February, then we shut down. So all that went to hell. So I'm like, well, there goes my meet. So now it's just like, I've been so busy. I haven't had time to really train. I start training and then I go on the road. And wherever I go on the road, I'm like, where's a gym next to this club? I have to be near a gym or I'll kill people. So it's really fucked up my training program. So I just lift, you know, I do what I can. So like now that I'm home this month, I I I've been able to focus on my actual lifts and like get them in. But it's really hard when you travel, which you know, Jeff, it's like it's really hard.
0: We but were you, um were you jacked? When you were doing the roller derby, because that to me seems like a perfect natural thing. But was, but like when you did it, what pe- was that? Because roller derby, I remember as a kid in the late seventies. Okay, yeah. you did it. What in the two thousands? Was yeah. there a, re- a resurgence
1: though? In the 80s. Yeah, there, was there was a little a resurgence. Show, there was so, a show there was. called Roller. So Games. tell us
0: a little bit about yeah. the
2: roller derby. Okay, well, there was a resurgence in two thousand, in the spring of two thousand in Texas. The Texas Roller Girls started it up again, and then it slowly leaked across the country. And our league, the Gotham Girls Roller Derby here in New York, started in 03. And, and I joined that. in 05. And we skated at the Skate Key in the South Bronx. Well, the Skate Key got shut down in 06 because of violations. It's not because people were getting shot every time outside. It was all the the health and, and uh, violations on the inside. Right, building. so you breathing
0: in asbestos. is it's not yeah, good for the that for the and the spectators. skates were
2: broken. Little kids were getting hurt, and they were just cheap, charling the whole thing. And they finally, in courts, they sh- they 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 shut them down from from violations from the city. So, what's
0: the sport of roller derby? What is it?
2: Well, it's kind of like rugby on roller skates, except your jammer is the ball. Do you know how to play rugby?
0: I, I have an idea. My nephew is a, a Division One rugby player right now. Is he hot? He's, yeah, he's
1: too good. I love
2: rugby players. They're fucking it, hot. Yeah, he's got to be
1: in great shape to play. It's, it's his th- nephew. Th- There's a chance he might look like Jeff.
2: Oh, thanks, Sean, for the reality check. Yes because <laughs> you know i i thought it was pretty nice to you
0: every time I seen. What, what did i kind of do you know you should be taking my side what are you with this big fucking baby over here
2: <laughs> oh but it's like rugby so like your jammer like you have your, your there's four girls in each pack and then your jammer on the starting line on the jam line so the pack is at this line and the jammers are in the back so the pack you play offense and defense at the same time, it's constantly moving and you got to travel in the pack. And the jammer's job is to get through that pack without committing a foul. So the first time through the pack to get lead jammer, lead jammer controls the jam. She can call it off anytime she wants It's strategy. If nobody it's gets through that, I thought yeah. it was like WWE. No, this shit is real. When, in the eighties, it was like Vince McMahon. It was fake, but it was, uh, It originally started off in the thirties as a race. It was a long race. And then in the fifties, people started hitting each other to try to get ahead and the crowds would go wild in the fifties. So like, Oh, they're hitting each other. This is like the crowds are getting into this. So they started adding the blocking and the, you know, the, and the hitting, but nothing. yeah. Yeah. So the fans went nuts for it. And then, you know, like we had in San Francisco, we had the Bay city bombers and they were great. And then in the 80s it kind of went to like building walls and breaking through it got really cheesy like like wrestling like Vince McMahon easy and then we brought it back in the th- to 2000s with the old school rules of like you can't you can hit from shoulder to hip anything from elbow to wrist is illegal from the neck up was illegal and from the knees down is illegal so you had to hip check you had to shoulder check you had to booty block or just slam into or cannonball into somebody. So it was a lot of fun and a lot of strategy. And then, and I left and I, after the 07, 06, 07 season, I retired. Cause I was like, Mooney was like, homie, you belong on that stage, not on those skates. So he, he yelled at me. So that's when I stopped playing. So, um, but yeah, like in 09, it got really cheesy and then they went like, oh, we have to be inclusive and we gotta start opening up our like we would sell out two thousand seats. Now they can't give tickets away. So it's I like mean, they-
0: still even a thing anymore. Oh, what, yeah. mean- what do you mean you have to be inclusive? Inclusive to what?
2: Well, they were trying to broaden their their uh fan base, like with more gays and more uh women and more this and more that. And it's like, why don't you just let the sports fans follow it? I go, the New York Giants don't go, you know what? We're missing gay. We're we're missing women. We're missing goth. We're missing punkers. They don't give a fuck. Just buy a ticket and come to the fucking game. They're not trying to, you know, they're did. they not looking for their audience. Their audience found them. Just like I was saying earlier with my standup, I'm not trying to find an audience to fit in. I'm just being myself and my audience is finding me. And to me, that's that's where the longevity comes from. That's and, correct. And because uh, if you're not doing your, be your your true self or doing what you who you really are, the audience is going to see right through it. Yeah. And they're going to eat you alive. So, you know, that, that's good.
0: I was going to say we, we we have we don't have an infinite amount of time on this, so Uh-oh. I want I want to get to something else before, before and then I want to go back to your your album and how people can get in everything. Perfect. But okay, but we we the name of our show is Who's Your Band, and we have talked for over an hour without mentioning <laughs> music once. And I know okay? I was
2: ready for all the music questions. I was excited. I'm a music junkie.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so let's talk about it. your band is Motley Crue. It like, is, which makes me like you even more now. Uh, when I open, cool when I open, mom,
1: when I open my mom and find out if she had a baby like five years before she had me, and then just <laughs> gave it up for adoption. Probably because <laughs> every I, I agree with so much of what she's saying today. This is fucking fantastic. I love it.
2: Yeah, when I open for dice, Motley Crue is my walk on song. It's either Dr. Feel Good, Dr. Feel Good, on my heart.
0: Nice, my, Dr. Feel Good got to be in I think in the top 5 opening riffs of any song.
2: Yep. I, I used Doctor Feelgood when I did, did when I came on stage with my album. I walked on to Doctor Feelgood.
0: We always a metal chick?
2: Yes, always. Got into <laughs> punk, got into ska, but I love music, but I'm a real big metal chick, but I'm a real big blues girl. Like my favorite singer in the whole world's coming to City Winery next month. I'm so excited. Betty Lavette. Nobody knows who the fuck she is, no, but she's nerd. a legend. She's been around 50 something years and she's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like so you're, she, you're,
0: you're in California yes. and where, were you around during the the, the time of the uh, sunset strip?
2: Yes. But I lived in the Bay area at that time. So a lot of those LA bands would play the club. I used to bounce at in West Oakland. So who,
0: I, so who'd you like listening to?
2: Oh God. Oh my God. Uh, well, of course, San Francisco. You have to have Metallica and Journey. If you don't have those two bands on your playlist, oh, yeah, Lights are you really from San Francisco? San... Are you really? You, you like San both Francisco? bands? Fucking love both bands. Are you kidding? James Hetfield, one time when I was a teenager, asked me to dance naked in front of him, and I was all I was all offended. I'm like, ew, how dare you? And I look back on, I'm so fucking stupid.
0: You, yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's a bad move. You should dance naked in front of uh, him and invite laws in as well
2: exactly Hello. and then uh at the oakland coliseum i used to you know the cow palace of the oakland coliseum so i'd go see all the big bands there so my friend allison used to like to go to the like find the hotels where they're find the tour buses and go to the hotel so like we crashed into poison's hotel room when they were opening for rat and uh great show we crashed there oh it was so good and uh crashed their hotel room and ricky rocket stuck his tongue down my throat and i was like oh okay are you doing? Are you
1: available every Sunday night at eight o'clock to co-host this podcast with me? <laughs> because I am oh, having more f- No, really, I'm, I'm I love him. I really do. He's
2: my I best love friends. Jeff. Paul. Come on. But
1: uh, yeah, no this this is definitely a lot better than ever talking to Jeff. <laughs> I told you, you would like her. I told yeah, you. fantastic.
0: I know Chrissy for a so, long time. So do more.
2: So ask me more band questions. I like this stuff. This is mm-hmm. fun.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. So let's go back to Motley Crue. All right. Okay and what's your opinion now like of what's going on with mick Mars and kind of like the drama that's happening with crew
2: i i know there's drama but i didn't hear about the drama but i saw them do uh at the at the draft at the nfl draft they did they played they played and i'm like that's my song that i walk out to where's mick mars like what happened so what happened tell me so
1: they um so they were claiming that he is just too ill to play anymore because which of his is, illness. Which, yes. Well, okay. So, but what they did was they basically fired him from the band, took away all his CEO status from the seven companies that they all own and dropped his royalties down from 25% to 5%.
0: And so made it sound like they were doing him a favor by doing Right.
1: It. We're going to give keep you 5%. And they're saying that he was unfit to play. So Mick comes back and says- hey, if I'm unfit to play, Nikki, why are you um, playing to a bass track? You didn't play one fucking note on that whole stadium tour with Def Leppard. He wasn't even plugged in, is what they're basically saying. So now they're going back and forth and Mick actually released an audio, which is brilliant on his part, of his isolated guitar track from his monitor. And when you hear him play on that stadium tour, he sounds better than he's ever sounded. I know what it was
0: in the track that he released was my favorite crew song which was a uh, primal uh, scream yeah. and which which you know talk about great intros i mean that slide guitar that he's uh, playing in that is just it's just perfect yeah and, he was and so Vincent he was such an
2: underrated to. guitar player too because exactly. he was he was self-taught he never took lessons he can't really read music but the fucking guy is like this virtuoso like he could play anything it's he made crazy. It sa-
0: he made it sound like there were two guitarists, and yeah. always from the first yeah, record
2: it's it, his guitar was well, the first record's full. different. Yeah. Oh, I love the first record, but it's like, but that's so raw and garage band. Like, I love that, but his guitar was so full and fat that it didn't need a rhythm guitar behind him. No, you know, he didn't need that at all. And it was like, I was always impressed. I'm like, Mick Mars is not like the greatest guitar player, but this fucking guy can play anything and and, and not even think twice about it. He's so fucking talented
0: and underrated when it when it came to musicians i thought i think most crew fans kind of knew this as well he was the most talented musician out of the four of them
2: oh he was the only one who was actually a musician i mean mean, no 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 nikki had the the
0: look nikki had the look and he's a good songwriter too he's a good songwriter and and, and, and nikki had the drive you know uh if you you read anything or you saw the uh oh i love
2: the i love the dirt i love that movie it was so good and uh but Tommy's a very talented drummer and I think he's great and I think he's hilarious and I love his personality. But it's like that band wouldn't have been anything without Mick Mars.
0: It would have been nothing like that. I mean, they Nikki Six puts the band together. And yes. you know, he hired Vince. Would you say more for his sound or would you say more for his look?
2: Um, I think it was probably not so, it's it's like a combination of both because Vince had that lead singer energy, you know, with the big blonde hair, big shirtless blonde with hair. the vest, cute, nice body, totally swooned the ladies. That's what you want as a lead singer, that whole package. Well,
1: what he
0: everybody was trying to he, do is they were trying to replicate Van Halen.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say that David Lee Roth coined that and made a lead singer like a sex symbol. Yeah. As opposed to just a guy that sings the songs you know But like David Lee Roth made a spectacle out of being a lead singer he made it a show and you know Vince Neal had it Vince Neal had all of that he wasn't a great singer he had a cool sound but he wasn't a fucking singer every he had the look all every bitch that looked at Vince Neal wanted to fuck him
0: right well every band followed that formula because yep. you had Poison you had Warrant yep. you know yep. they all you know Trickster uh,
2: rat
0: bon jovi i was thinking skid row you know with, yeah. with, with, with the great they all had the hot singer. lead singers yeah right. that was, that that, was that, that that could sing you yep. know and it, it all goes back i think to van halen but i think yeah, Motley 100%. Crew, you know they had they had that you know they had that like real they had that real like like california sunset
1: strip sleaze rock sleaze yeah, rock yep
2: sleaze that's rock exactly right. exactly what we used to call it now would
1: rock. you agree now I'm a I'm a crewologist myself too love it um, do you agree that the self-titled album with junk Robbie is their best album mm. has hooligans holiday on it
2: I love hooligans holiday too it's such a great underrated it's, song it, it's a, I will say this it's a great album but it, to me it's not motley Crue. Because Motley right. Crue is sleaze rock. Motley Crue is dirty, like Motley Crue is the grease on the bottom of the pan after you've cooked for twelve hours. That's burnt on there, like it's the grit.
1: Yeah.
2: Motley Crue with him with is more polished. It seemed like a more mature band.
1: Yeah, yeah, like a more
2: I, like they were like playing music for their age, or Motley played music for pussy. You know what I mean? Like they were yeah. all like in high school still burnouts, but. With Hooligans Holiday and all those, such a great album. I love that album, but it didn't have the same spark or the yeah. chemistry that Vince brought because Vince was just that piece of that gritty pie that we love with Crew. But that's what made it so magical. That's why I took this shitty LA grung, grungy, sleaze rock glam band from the Strip and made them like the, the the monsters. Who thought? Who knew Motley Crue would listening to Live Wire that these guys were going to be rock gods like like 30 years later we're still selling out stadiums you know who thought metallica was going to be like that when they came out no one thought i'm like this is going to be a fad and look at them they're still playing 30 40 years later it's the same thing it's like you just you never know but it's like that magic they had uh crosby didn't bring the magic he was a great like studio musician and a filler but the album was very good like it was a really well written album like from a musician standpoint really well-produced, really well-written, very well-executed. And it was the same thing, like, I thought of, too, when uh, with Poison. Like, that song Stand is probably one of their best songs they ever wrote because it's so mature and so, like, grown up. Like, they grew into the musicians that they wanted to be, and everything else was just silly party shit, you know? And, you know, to me, Stand is my favorite song from Poison, even though it's it's not their biggest It's so fucking good and timeless. You know, it's yeah, so I like definitely that.
1: tell you that I'm a very big Richie Cotson fan. That's when Richie Cotton. Yep. Richie Richie was right.
2: great. He was phenomenal. If
1: you guys and, had to pick your five top crew songs, what are you going with?
2: Oh God. Uh uh. You know what
0: what are you thinking? I'll 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 give you my list and yeah, then you, you got, give us a yeah, and, and then yeah. and then you guys okay. so okay. so think about yours because I'm gonna I you know like I said my favorite is Prim- Primal Scream. I love pro- the last album that they did, the last studio album. I love uh, Saints of Los Angeles. I love great. that it's song. It's a great song, you know,
2: really great song. Uh-huh. Um then I'll
0: then you know, always have to go something from the first album, Take Me to the Top was probably the first song I heard that of them that I loved a lot. Um Wild Side. And then I'll go something kind of poppy. Uh, don't go away, mad. Just go away.
2: That's a good song. I it's hated. Song. I really. I, I'm terrible. And I even saw the tour at the Oakland uh, Arena. Um, was I hated? Home sweet home. So do I. 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 I hated but, uh, it. I hated smoking in the boys' room. Me too. I hated that album. Without but that was all you, that
0: was the formula in the MTV record. You had to do yeah.
2: the power, and, power it was like, and you had to
0: do the cover. Without,
2: <laughs> yeah, the without you was just like, oh, uh, I'm gonna fucking rather watch paint dry and my fucking head's gonna cave in. Like one of my know, favorite I'm groups...
0: To, I'm sorry, but if you're gonna go with songs like that, like the mellow song, I would rather uh something like Time for Change.
2: Right, exactly. So like my favorite, like in my top favorites, like Red Hot. Red Hot's good. It's such a great song. It's like it has that little punk. I, I love it because it reminds me of the old days when they, you know, like when I was younger. Red Hot, um, definitely, you know, uh, Doctor Feel Good, uh, Kickstart My Heart. Uh, I don't have a five, like I have so many, but like uh, uh, Too Fast for Love
0: oh it's a good one yeah such
2: a good and looks that kill is probably oh, yeah. my top another good one yeah you know Greatest, like great like that song used to send me over the edge like that song was like yeah we're fucking rocking now and that was their big like video on mtv like who is this band like everybody was like what the fuck and uh what, what would you when, say when, Sean? when vince had a waistline
1: <laughs> yeah right i'm gonna go with uh too young to fall in love Ooh, good one. Which is uh I, I again I hate agreeing with Jeff's uh Saints of Los Angeles. Great song. I, I just I love that record so much. Yeah, it's
2: so good. Um
1: I'm gonna go shout the devil, but I'm Ooh. going the I'm going the generation swine version, okay. the 97 re-recorded yeah. version. I just love that. I got to see them uh the record release party
2: ah, for
1: that tour, and I was maybe four feet away from Pam Anderson the entire night. And nice. that that record has the worst song they ever recorded too, which is Brandon. But uh right. we don't talk about that record too, that song too much. I'm gonna okay. go with uh, same old situation. I think it's so just nice. a really good party song from yeah. that Dr. Feel good record. Totally. And Wildside Wild Side is is probably of my course. favorite cruise song.
2: Yeah, you, that's
0: awesome. You, you know, most of the songs off of uh, Saints of Los Angeles, it was supposed to be uh, a 6 a.m.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Record. You, hear yep. that, and, you hear that when, big time. Yep. And when
0: they got to back together with Vince, they had to put out a, a record, and they took a lot of those songs and put it on, you know, and made it a Motley uh, record.
2: Which I'm glad they did. Yeah, yeah, but I'm glad they did.
0: Chris, what do you think about John Five now being in the band?
2: I. Don't think anything, because I haven't. I'm a bad person. I haven't followed up lately. With
1: he sounds great.
2: Does he sound I, great? Is he's he? A John, he is,
1: John he's, he's a good fit. He, he is a good fit.
2: Was that the guy that was at the NFL draft playing yes. with them with the blonde yeah. hair? Yes. Okay. I I honestly was like, is that like Mick Mars's kid? Like <laughs> I was literally like, is that his kid? Like, is it like the same face? like the same bone structures. He has
1: that look, yeah.
2: And I was like, does this is this Mick Mars is is this his kid? Well, you know like,
0: what he he's got that whole that whole image cuz he played with uh Rob Zombie for the longest time.
2: Right. My he's old right. buddy He's his
1: guitar player, but he's also just a brilliant musician and also uh a producer too. Like he just he produced uh a Leonard Skinner record like 10 years ago, which was a, a killer record and he just uh he just did all the guitars and the production for Dolly Parton's rock and roll album that's coming oh, out.
2: Oh, I can't wait. Dolly is the queen. That's going to be
1: that's going to oh. be cool. Uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my record of the year that's going to come out this year.
2: She's uh, uh I love her. Like she's my everything. I love that woman.
1: Like, do, uh, that you also you you also mentioned
2: you you like share. I live for share. I I am a shareologist. Like her music, or like her her, yes. her acting, and or just yes, yes, just and who yes. There is? Who she is, what she stands for, how she handles herself, her sense of humor, uh, her albums, like all her music. Like my favorite album was one of her albums that flopped, that kind of got lost in the shuffle when she was changing labels after she left sunny. It's a disco album called Stars. I listen to that. Is that over- would take me home. No. That's take me home. That was in eighty one. This was like seventy eight.
0: Like I guess I'm out. not a big share album. Yeah, but
2: no one. If you're not a share fan, you would never know this album existed.
0: Okay. Because
2: it was like when she had the share variety hour. It was yeah. After, yeah, I used to watch that. It was the it was the album after Half Breed. Like Half Breed was so big. Yeah. And then this album came out and she was changing labels and, the, and all this shit was going on and it got lost in the shuffle. And
0: you know, what, my my friends give me a. They'll give me shit about this because you know. What well, I don't know. what A lot of people know. I love Broadway musicals. Always did. Ooh. Always
1: ago. And it's, why it's, do you? Why? Because I like. Why them, do Sean. you do this and just? Because, because I like.
0: You no, know I. I'm secure enough in my manhood to go to see a Broadway musical.
1: Yes, girls, go-
2: tell it, girl.
1: And I <laughs> went wanted- gay earlier for liking something. What was I it? Did. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, here's, here's, here's your chance to get
2: back
0: at me, Sean. Sure, okay. You, you know, you have you have more Amaral. Um, get
1: back and- at you. Whatever I can do is not be nothing compared to what life has already done to you, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to go see did you did you ever see Chrissy? The share show on Broadway?
2: I missed it and I Oh, audition-
0: come on. It was and great.
2: I know. I auditioned for the London version. Oh,
0: very cool. Oh.
2: As the 80s share.
0: Yeah, because they had they cool. had a bunch of different actresses Yeah, play and shit through different I parts of career.
2: Auditioned the producers out in London got my little demo and went told my manager, we want her. So I was like, fuck, I got to do a singing. Cause I just did, it was one of the things I did in lockdown. I put the wig on and did like a little thing. It was just share and, you know, uh, you know, during the Biden campaign and I was share and doing all that stuff. So I did like a fake campaign thing for Biden and, uh, and they loved it. So, uh, I was like, fuck, now I got to do a singing thing. So I called up, this is, you, you remember, um, janice the manager at broadway comedy club i we call her man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe janice trannis manis yeah. whatever yeah yeah, yeah i course. love 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 her so i called her up I was this like, was
0: janice's thing okay someone would be up on stage for 30 seconds they may not have gotten their first laugh get him off yep get them off. Like, or like, you know, like, like yeah oh yeah, my god exactly.
2: Oh, my God. He sucks. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, it's like, gonna, give Sam Morell a, a chance to work this out. Okay.
2: Yeah, just give him a second. So I called her up. I said, I have to do this audition for the Share show in London, for Broadway in London. Can I come in and use the stage and the sound system and do an acapella?" She's like, yeah, come in. I get there at five. Meet me there. And we don't have shows till nine o'clock downstairs. So you can have it the whole night. I said, I only need it for like 15 minutes. She's like, whatever. So I go there. And I did a an acapella version, like a little like a like a like a verse bridge to the chorus for if I could turn back time. And then what else did I do? I did another song and then I meshed them together on a video and sent it in. And they ended up going with someone that probably is probably a third of the way through their transition. It looked like but she just looked old and didn't look like her. I don't know why. Maybe they didn't have to pay her and they don't have to fly me in from the United States. I don't know, but this bitch was ugly as fuck and I'm like god damn this bitch don't look nothing like her and I made it up and I look like her with the wig and the makeup I have it all done I'm like all right whatever I guess I'm not going to go do Broadway for a year. I go take away from stand up anyway so I don't want to be yeah. off stage that long. But I'm like I'm going to live in London for a year and then hit the clubs and and fucking crush it London. Been experience. With... And yeah, like, exactly. The always list. be there. Exactly. And I'm like I'm going to do Broadway in London and then Go do the London comedy clubs and and go hit the circuit and just fucking have a good time. Who cares? But it didn't work out. But yeah, you do, I, car- do you do karaoke? Yeah.
0: What's your go-to share song?
2: If I could turn back time, if I could find a no way, my throat's fucked up, so I can't really sing. And I don't want to Can scream you do a out loud. My J- name,
0: Jesse James.
2: Just it's a like song. yesterday. I think one of my favorite song. Sheriff's songs, actually.
1: That, and it's, I found some, one of my two favorite Sheriff's songs. I found someone's a really good one. Um that, well, that was Michael the other
2: Bolton. song I did, yeah.
0: And the other, and the one that's really auto tuned. Believe. Believe. I think it's a really good song.
2: It's a great song. It's a timeless song.
0: Yeah, it puts you in a good mood. I think she had another song off that album.
2: Yeah. Uh, there was. Uh,
0: what was the other hit off?
2: Believe. That? Uh, power. Was, uh, that was her biggest hit. so I can't remember. Movie.
0: But there was another song. Off I have it. to look, at, also, the yeah, have to look at
2: the song list. I have to look at the song list.
0: Really good. Did you ever see it live? Seven times. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen it. I'm I a junkie. Her. I think Cindy Lauper opened up one. Of the
2: yes, shows. she did. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I on, I was, Uh, my best friend was like Cindy's best friend. So, of course, you know, my gaze, you know. And uh, I was on Cindy Lauper's guest list for the Arrowhead. Uh, late. Uh, the Arrowhead Amphitheater, or whatever, uh, down in uh, Orange County. So I got to see Cindy, but um, uh, like we, I went up to go say hi to her in her little meet and greet, and I'm like, nope, Cher's about to come on stage. Fuck you, bitch. Bye. Thanks for the tickets. And I so, ran back down
0: Okay, before that. we wrap this up, mm-hmm. speaking of Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. did she get robbed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent.
2: A hundred percent.
0: I do not believe
1: Missy Elliott belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. Yet, these these are my two biggest, two biggest problems with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: I I would have probably would have started the show with this. One, there is absolutely no way on this planet that Missy Elliott should get in before Cindy Lauper. Okay, because they made Pat Benatar wait too long. And mm-hmm. now they're doing the same thing to Cindy Lauper for no reason. And there is absolutely no fucking way that Rage Against the Machine goes in before Iron Maiden. There is yeah, no I other- agree Yeah,
2: I I agree. I agree. I, I I a thousand percent. I love Rage, but come on, it's Iron Maiden.
0: I mean, Rage it's has five albums. Yeah. yeah, five albums. One of them is an album of covers. Okay, maiden yeah. without maiden you don't have a band like rage against the machine. Exactly. But maiden who? out out everything's them.
2: Nobody could sing the way Bruce Dickinson could sing. Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford are my two Bruce, favorite metal singers in the world. Bruce Dickinson,
0: and- Rob Halford, uh, Ronnie James Dio, Yep. Jeff Tate, Sebastian Bach. Yep. My Mountain Rush. Well, and
2: my and my old friend who died, Ray Gillen I loved his voice. He was an old friend Ray- of mine.
0: Why do I know Ray Gillen?
2: Rainbow and he, him and Jakey Lee's band. Badlands. Badlands. Okay.
0: Yeah, I knew I knew, Gillen, I, I, knew Ian Gillen.
2: I knew Ray Gillen and Jakey Lee from Badlands because they would play the club and I got to be friends with them. They were fucking hilarious. And then Ray died.
0: I think aside from Randy Rhodes, I think maybe Jakey Lee may be Ozzy's best guitarist. Yep. Well, Sean, you're a big uh, no, uh, it's a,
1: Zach, it's it's Randy, gonna go Zach and, and Zach. it's Randy and Zach, and that's and then I Jake Healy's a, uh, the third or yeah. fourth, he, he, he was a monster dude. He's very good, he's very good, but I mean, Red Dragon Cartel, it, you know, I
0: I think right now with Eddie passing, I think probably the guitarists that stand out to me are probably Nuno Beck and Court Extreme, yep. and mm-hmm. I, I I I may have to go with Jakey e. Lee being like that
1: second guy now. That's how why I regard. Can't it. Agree. I can't agree with that, Jeff. I can't.
0: It's nowhere, near, nowhere near there's, there's no. This is an exact science. Anyway, Chrissy, <laughs> where can people get the album?
2: You can get my album "Brutally Yours" on iTunes and Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Tidal, or wherever you stream your music. Please get it, <laughs> guys. Get
0: it. Listen, we, we were just talking to Chrissy for like an hour and a half, and you know, <laughs> you know, look how look how entertaining she is now. Listen, wait till you hear a comedy; you're gonna love it. Believe me, you know we won't steal you wrong. Um, and where can people uh, find you? You know, where can they follow you? Uh, Uh, Go see your shows.
2: You can follow me. I put all my show information like on Instagram and Facebook because I'm 150 years old. And I also have a YouTube channel. It's all the same at Christy Miller Comedy. You can follow me there if you love me. And if you hate me, I'm Kathy Griffin.
1: (laughs) That's great.
0: All right, guys. Christy, thank Thank you so much, man.
2: Jeff, I miss you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I, I miss you too. And, you know, I'm sure I'll see you soon. And but thank you for coming on the show. Oh, doing thank this. you for having this was, me. This was a great hang.
2: <laughs> oh, it's totally fun. Doesn't yeah. feel like an it's hour and a half.
0: No, no and no. that's how you know it's good.
1: Because normally, <laughs> exactly. I would te- normally I start texting Jeff at about 42 minutes and go, wrap this fucking thing up. <laughs> 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 and he'll tell you, show him your phone. I haven't texted him. So, no. this, oh, is definitely, this is our oh. second longest interview on the podcast. This is episode Aww. 123. The wow. only one who talked more than your fucking mouth is uh, Matt Penfield. No, 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 and, and also uh, the singer Max. Which one? Oh, Max Illage, yeah, from Forty. Max years old. Illich was
0: great as he as he lit up several uh,
1: bowls during the interview. Yeah, well, hey, when but, it was,
0: but it was a great interview. Yeah, the I think as comics
1: great. go, you're definitely the longest interview we've had. Yes, yes.
0: But and, and, as I'm as you're talking, I'm looking at love in Sean's eyes. Uh, okay. So, uh, (laughs) but we will catch you guys. Uh, actually, we're we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be off for for the next two weeks. Okay, well, I have a
1: suggestion since me and remember we were talking about how, like, you know, you wanted that hard spot with Mencia, and and yeah, Jeff's gonna be in the hard spot because he's headlining a show in Philadelphia on May 21st, which is very exciting for him, but uh, he's got to follow me. So Ooh. it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a tough wah, wah, one. For him. It's gonna be a tough one, I'm <laughs> telling you. But yeah, we, yeah, I think we may do a live one in the car on the way down to the show. Yeah, that,
2: Hilarious. That, we that should we all three be. do a show together and just fucking any
1: fucking time. Let's any do time. it. Let's do what? it. I'm
2: always out for a good Jeff fucking. A so you're, on, you're
1: on the radar now.
2: Yes. You're
0: on the radar. Okay? Yes.
2: yes. Yes, let's do it. I love it.
0: But if you want to see me and Sean live, we're gonna be at uh in Philadelphia at the uh Velvet Whip uh it is a awesome awesome uh venue uh limited seating so uh if you can get those tickets now uh all right guys we will catch you soon get chrissy's album you're gonna love it all right chrissy thank you so much
2: thanks john we will thanks, see Sean. you in a couple of weeks thank you for coming yes. thanks bye, for everybody. having me bye guys